Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Fill our hearts with your presence, everlasting Father. Fill this church with your presence, O Lord God Almighty. All we ask is that you be glorified in our lives. We bless you, we honor you, O God. Lord Jesus, be enthroned in our midst, O God. Sweet Holy Spirit, please come and have your way. Blessed be your name. All glory and honor to you, O God. In Jesus' name we have worshipped you. Amen and amen. God bless you. You know, for the last many weeks, we've been on this very, very important journey, ladies and gentlemen. I, I emphasize very important journey where we've been looking critically at our hearts. Very, very important. And I pray that every single one of you is on this journey because it's going to make a massive difference in our Christian walk. We understand so because of our anchor scripture from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. By now, you should know the scripture of, of heart. If I paraphrase, the Bible says that we should keep our hearts, guard our hearts, protect our hearts, watch over our hearts, because that's where the essence of life issues from. The Passion Translation says, so above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. And as we continue that journey today, we're going to be talking about the heart of the matter. You know, there's a song that, I'm, I'm not sure how many people know this, it's, it's a song that's been around for quite a while. It's called, The Heart of the Matter is the Matter of the Heart. The Heart of the Matter is the Matter of the Heart. And like I said, the reason, ladies and gentlemen, is because life, everything that we do, stems from our hearts. In the same way, like we said over the weeks, many weeks, in the same way that our physical heart controls everything about life, if the heart, the physical heart, stops pumping blood and oxygen, a person dies. That's the end of life. In the same way that the physical heart is the center of the control, do you know, ladies and gentlemen, that sometimes um, a person can be, they say, for example, a person can be brain dead, which means that the brain is no longer functioning, but for as long as the heart is beating, there's still life. There's still hope. That's how critical, that's how central it is. But then you know by now that we're using that as a metaphor to refer to the center of our being, our spiritual heart. And when we talk about our spiritual heart, I thought I'd go through this very quickly. We're talking about the center of who we are. And oftentimes, or rather many times in the Bible, the, the Bible would use the words heart and soul interchangeably. 
So sometimes it says heart, sometimes it says soul. They mean mostly the same thing. So the soul, which is the center of our being, is made up of the mind. Our mind is that part of us, our being, that receives information, that processes information. It's the place where we think, where our thoughts emanate, where we ruminate. And then we've got our emotions. Our emotions are the part of us that receive stimuli and then respond to stimuli. So something is good, it evokes emotion. Something is bad, it evokes emotion. When you're angry, it's from your emotions. And then the will is the place that pulls those things together, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and then makes decisions and choices that affect our life. That's why the Bible says, guard those things, those components of your heart, because they affect everything about your life. You know, um, oftentimes people ask the question, what's the difference between the heart and the soul? I say, they're mostly the same. Many scholars say that your heart is actually a combination of your soul with your spirit being, your inner man. But like I said to you, oftentimes those words are used interchangeably. Yeah? So just bear that in mind. But what I wanted to talk about today, ladies and gentlemen, is that we often forget that God also has a heart. God made you and I in his image. He's a spirit being. He doesn't have a body and flesh, but he has a heart. His mind, his emotions, and his will. I'm sure you know that. And it's sad, ladies and gentlemen, that in our walk with God, we often don't think about God's heart. We're mostly concerned about our hearts, the things we want. So we go to God because we want him to do something for us and give us that and do that. But many times we don't stop to think about what is on God's heart. And you know why this is important, ladies and gentlemen? It's important because our interaction with God is a heart interaction. Everything that we do in our interaction with God is through the heart, through the mind, the, the, the will, the emotions, and our inner mind. Everything is through the heart. That's why the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 17, when, when God wanted Samuel to appoint a new king for, for, for Israel, he'd rejected Saul. He said, he said, you know, Samuel was looking at uh, Jesse's sons. He saw the first one. The first one resembled uh, the previous king, Saul, because he was tall and handsome. But listen to what God says. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. And you know it's so true, ladies and gentlemen. Our interactions with each other are often superficial. The things that we see, how we perceive each other. But it says, but the Lord looks at the heart. What is on the inside? God is not impressed, ladies and gentlemen, by externals. That's why Jesus often called the Pharisees hypocrites. You know what the word hypocrite means in, in the Greek? It means an actor. You know, where you are acting, but you're not really showing the real thing that's on the inside. 
He's, God is not fooled by what we see. He focuses on the inward qualities. And ladies and gentlemen, because God has a heart, he's also looking for people who care for his heart. You know, in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, um, I love the scripture where it says, I paraphrase, it says, it says, God is searching all over the world, looking for people whose hearts are committed to him. But then, this is the challenge. God search, searches, he looks all over the place, but guess what he finds? He looks into our hearts and he's thinking, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> this heart is just not in the right place. In Jeremiah 17, verses 9 to, 11, to 10, this is what God says. He says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. I love the way the message translation says, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. So God, ladies and gentlemen, has a heart. It's his heart that interacts with our hearts. It's not the superficials. It's not the actions. Everything that we do externally must relate to what is on the inside. That's where God looks. But then the Bible says he looks and then he's thinking, you know, I, I, it, it's a challenge for me to, to relate with this heart. That's why he sent Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. And I will come to that as, as we end. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, to redeem us, to cleanse us and reconcile us to himself. But Today, I wanted us to challenge ourselves with this awesome statement that God made. Because he says, I search all over the world looking for hearts that will be committed to me. Hearts that will care for me like I care for them. And all I see is evil and wickedness and selfishness and all those things. But then, in the midst of all this, ladies and gentlemen, God makes this awesome statement. Saul was appointed king. And then shortly after he became king, God sent Samuel to say to him, Gina, I'm sorry I made this man king. It was a bad mistake. He says, but don't worry. Listen to this. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 12, from verse 13, he says, How, this is Samuel speaking, how foolish this is after Saul had disobeyed God. Samuel exclaimed, You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Verse 14. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's commands. And then in the book of Acts, when Paul was preaching to the Gentiles, he repeated this same statement in Acts chapter 13, 
verses 21 to 22. It says in the New Living Translation, Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to. The message translation says, But then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, out of the tribe of Benjamin. After Saul had ruled 40 years, God removed him out of office and put David, King David, in his place with this commendation. I have searched the land and found this David, son of Jesse, is a man whose heart beats to my heart. A man who will do what I tell him to do. What awesome commendation, ladies and gentlemen. And so I thought, as we go in, along in this journey, where we're looking at our hearts, bringing our hearts before God, getting God to heal our hearts, wouldn't it be great to bring the heart of David and put it under a microscope and say, what exactly was it about David's heart? What was it about him that God singled him out and said, and ladies and gentlemen, throughout the Bible, David was the only person that God referred to as a man after my heart. It doesn't mean that God did not have close, people that were his close friends. Abraham was his friend. Moses was his friend. He loved Joseph. Uh, Daniel was precious to God, but David was the only one that he said, a man after my, a man whose heart beats with my heart. I know it's fascinating when you look at the, the two sides of the coin, because I'm sure you know that David wasn't perfect. He wasn't a perfect man by any chance. In fact, some of the things that he did, you and I would shudder to do them. So what was it about David? What was it about David's heart that commended him to God this much? You know, I thought as I read the Bible, the best way, you know, what they call compare and contrast, the best way to analyze the heart of David is to first of all go back and ask God or, or look at God's statement in terms of what the problem is with the man's heart. And then we can step back and find out what was it about David's heart. So what did God say when he wanted to do something about this heart of man that was desperately wicked and deceitful? Ezekiel chapter 36. So we're going to the solution and then coming backwards. Ezekiel chapter 36 from verses 24 to 27. This is what he says. He says, For I will gather you up from the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. Your field will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. And then he breaks it down. He says, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. The New Living, I'm sorry, the Message Translation says, let me read in, in the message. It says, I'll remove the stone heart from you, your body, and replace it with a heart that is God-willed, not self-willed. And it suddenly starts to help us understand what the problem is. So when you remember, remember the heart is 
your mind, what you're thinking, the thoughts that you're, you're processing in your mind, your emotions, how you're responding to stimuli, how you're reacting to the things around you, and then your will. God says the problem is that that heart is hard. It's like stone. It means that that heart is not sensitive to anything that I'm trying to get it to do. It's so hard, it's unresponsive. It just does what it wants to do. The message says it's not God-willed, it is self-willed. That's the challenge that God has always had with the human heart. We think what we want to think. When it's convenient, we think the God things. We feel what we want to feel. How many times, ladies and gentlemen, is somebody angry and then you want to do something and then the Spirit of God is whispering to you and saying, no, 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 don't do that. Apologize instead. Guess what? You say, no, no. If I get behind me, Satan. It has to be Satan. Can't you see how the person, you know, spoke and, and, and disrespected me? I must say something back. Because it's a self-willed heart rather than a God-willed heart. God says, if we're going to continue this, this, this journey, I need to remove that heart and give it a heart that is sensitive, responsive to me, that is soft. You know, as I was coming this morning, I thought it, w- it, would, have been, it would have been great if I could get a human heart, you know, and hold the heart, you know, dripping with blood in front of you. Um, but I, I thought if I did that, half of you would run away. But, you know... The reason is, I just thought, you know, if you held the heart in your hand, do you know you can squeeze it and squash it? It's squishy, squashy. And it has to be squishy, squashy for it to be able to do what it does. If the heart was hard, which happens when it is diseased, incidentally, I'll come to that in a second. But if, if the heart was hard, it, it won't be able to pump blood around the body. And then guess what? You have a heart attack and then the person falls down and dies. The heart needs to be soft. It needs to be elastic in order to do what it does. Guess what? That's exactly what God is looking for in our spiritual heart. A heart that he can squeeze when he wants to. A heart that can can allow the, the, the mind of God, the thoughts of God to pass through it easily. The same way your physical heart pumps blood. So today... We just wanted to have a quick glimpse at David's heart. What was it about David that made God say, this is a man after my heart? Just a quick glimpse. But you know, I felt the Spirit of God say, as you are talking about David's heart, put your own heart under the microscope. Because as we look at him, let's do a comparison. How does my heart fit How does my heart compare with this thing that commended David to God? Number one, and there are many things that we can talk about, ladies and gentlemen, but time doesn't permit. It's just a, a, a quick look at David's heart. What was it about David's heart that commended him to God? What was squishy squashy about David's heart that made him a man whose heart beat? Is it beat or beated? Beat? Beat? Is it beat? Beat? Okay, beat, beat. With God's heart. Number one, David feared God. David, everything that David did 
was subject to the fear of God. David always wanted to do what pleased God. And you know, I'm sure you know by now that the fear of God doesn't mean you are afraid of God. It means that you honor God in everything that you do. You are very sensitive to God's displeasure and God's pleasure. You want, you're always asking, you're always thinking, is this pleasing to God or is this displeasing to God? But you know, ladies and gentlemen, we don't even think about it at all. Many times we've reacted and done what we feel like doing before we start, if we stop, that is, and then we stop and ask the question, oh, was it pleasing to God? David was always propelled by what is pleasing to God. He feared God. Unlike, unlike Saul, you know, the more I studied this, the more I realized why God removed Saul and said, do you know, I always pray, ladies and gentlemen, may God never remove you. Amen. Let me say that again. May God never remove you. Amen. May God never have cause to reject you. Amen. But that's what happened to Saul. The, the, the Bible says he rejected Saul and then found a man whose heart was according to his own heart. And then when you look at scriptures, you understand the reason why. David feared God. Do you know Saul feared men more than God? When, 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 when God said to, to, to Saul through Samuel, tell him to go and kill all the Amalekites, slaughter all of them, including the sheep and everything. Then, um, 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 Saul went, he, he killed the Amalekites, and then he saved the king, and then saved the best of the sheep and the oxen, and then brought them and says, I've done what God said, said I should do. Samuel said, but what is this that I'm hearing, the, 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 the sheep that are bleating? And he says, oh, um, the men, the men said, you know, we should do this. And I'm thinking, how many times do we do that, ladies and gentlemen, where we do things more to please man than to please God? David, he feared God. Everything he did was ruled by what pleases God. Number two, it's a quick whiz through. Number two. David's heart was humble before God. You know, David knew where God had brought him from. He knew that he was a lowly shepherd. Imagine they, 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 they had already planned to anoint a king from the first six, six, six sons of Eliab. David would have been totally oblivious in the, in the, in the back, backside of the desert looking after sheep. And he did that well. He knew that it was God that brought him from that lowly place and made him king. No wonder when you read the Psalms, ladies and gentlemen, please go and read the Psalms. When you read the Psalms, it will start by saying, a Psalm of David, a servant of God. A Psalm of David, a servant of God. For him, God was always up there. He was down there. And that influenced his attitude to everybody. Oh, for a heart of humility, ladies and gentlemen. So pleasing to God. Because when we're humble before God, you know, we will do whatever it is that he says we should do. He didn't seek personal honor. Unlike Saul. Oh, Saul, Saul, Saul was a character. Do you, after he had sinned and Samuel had pronounced the statement that God had rejected him and God was going to, 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 to put another king. Do you know what Saul said? Saul said, okay, okay, I've heard you. But for the meantime, can you come with me to the sacrifice so that you can honor me in the eyes of the people? Can you beat that? 
God had just passed a sentence that should make him fall on the ground and say, Lord, I'm sorry. He was more interested in his honor. And that's pride for you, ladies and gentlemen. But David's heart was always humble before God. Number three, David <laughs> trusted God. You know, when I got to this bit, I felt the Holy Spirit, you know, I, I always have this struggle. And let, me, let me confess to you, I always have this struggle when I'm, 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 a, I'm going to preach a message. And I'm preparing, and then you want to say something. And then I'm reminded in my heart, that thing you want to say, by the way, you are more guilty than the people you're saying to. Because it's an area that I know that I struggled with. Just trusting God. Just having this firm confidence in God. And you know, it's amazing because when you look back, if you look back, you will see evidence of how God has always come true for you. Is it not true, my brothers and my sisters? Why is it then that when we're then faced with a different circumstance, we struggle to trust the God who did it yesterday? But David always trusted God. Every time he faced something, guess what? He ran to God. It was always God first. Number four. And this is where it gets interesting. David's heart was yielded to God. The description of a new heart was really an epitome of David. A heart that is sensitive, tender, and submitted to God. Anything God wanted David to do, he would do. That was the essence of the commendation. He says, I found a man, I've searched all over the place, and I found a man whose heart beats in sync with my heart. You know why? He will do anything I tell him to do. Oh, how I wish, Lord, that that would be my testimony. That I would do anything God tells me to do. But I'm sure you and I know that we struggle to do anything, anything that God tells us to do. That's why his heart commended him to God. His heart was so sensitive Anytime David sinned, ladies and gentlemen, he would run to God. You know, Psalm 51, I'm, I'm sure you've all read it many times, but read it and read it again. You can see a penitent heart, a heart that's really, really sorry for, uh, how should I say it, for, for hurt, hurting God. For doing something that was displeasing to God. Meanwhile, Saul, he would make excuses for a sin. And you know, we're like that, ladies and gentlemen. We make excuses for a wrongdoing. We blame the other person. Saul was very good at that. He was always blaming other people. But David, ladies and gentlemen, he did some of the most abominable things that you... Now, you've, you've read the scriptures. You know what I'm talking about. But his heart was so sensitive to God... Anytime something displeased God, he ran to God. He called for a census. And then, actually, let me tell you the one that touched me the most. You know, Saul was chasing, Saul was chasing David. He was jealous of David, and he wanted to kill David. So he was chasing David all over. So David was running away from Saul. And then in two instances, 1 Samuel chapter 24, 1 Samuel chapter 26, that, that 
Saul was there in the wilderness chasing after, after uh, David. And then David was told that Saul was, I think on, in chapter 24, he was, he was sleeping. And then his, his men, David's men, they said to him, I'm paraphrasing because of time. David's men said to him, aha, we've got him. <laughs> we've got him. He says, in fact, I love the way they said it. And you know, we, we spiritualize everything in life. He said, the Lord has handed your enemy over to you. And aren't we like that, ladies and gentlemen? The Lord has handed. So, so he went and then he cut off the hem of Saul's garment. The Bible says, as soon as he did, his heart smote him. He, he, he said, no, 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 I shouldn't have done this. I should not have touched the anointed of God. The anointed of God who is disobeying God. The anointed of God who is an enemy of God and doing things that are displeasing to God. You and I would have taken our arrows and stabbed it right through Saul's heart. But David, his heart was sensitive to the will of God. And then lastly, it's just a wish through, ladies and gentlemen. It's just for something for us to contemplate as we continue on this journey. David loved God. David loved God. David loved God, and because he loved God, he expressed the love of God. That's why when you read the Psalms, it's always a love discourse between David and God. Psalm 18, verse 1, I love you, Lord, with all of my heart. That was always the undertone of David's discourse with God. He had a revelation of God's love. We talked about the revelation of God's love last week. He had a revelation of God's love and God's mercy. He knew that wherever he was could not have been except for the love and the mercy of God. But guess what? He not only loved God, he not only had a revelation of God, but he expressed the love of God to people around him. And that's the key, ladies and gentlemen. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if there's anything you forget today, please don't forget this. What God is looking for are people who will express his heart to the world around them. God has a heart. You have a heart. God's plan is that your heart should be a duplicate of his heart. Your heart should represent his heart to humanity so that when you come across people, they will say, ah, this is a God heart. Not because of you, but because of God. And David knew that. So he loved God because God loved him. But he also loved people around him because of God. I love the story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Verse 1, well, from verse 1, when Saul had died and David had become king, and then he, he got to the throne. Guess what? The first thing he did, you know, I, I hear that when, when kings are, when, when, when new kings become kings, when, when new people become kings, the first thing they do is that they must destroy the household of the previous king. So that nobody in the previous uh, monarchy or whatever it is you call it will come back to, to, to um, antagonize the new king. So they always kill off the previous dynasty. The first thing David did, ladies and gentlemen, 
was he said, is there anybody left in the household of Saul that I can show mercy to? Because God has been merciful to me. He remembered the, the covenant that he made with his friend Jonathan. Because they were friends. Their hearts were knit together. And now that he became king, the love of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the attributes of God that flowed through David. Mephibosheth, incidentally, ladies and gentlemen, by this time was crippled. He was hiding away somewhere because then, you know, if you're crippled, you can't really do life. Guess what David did? He brought Mephibosheth to his table. Mephibosheth had at 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 Mephibosheth ate, as in to eat, ate at David's table, the Bible says, throughout his life. Because David had God's heart in his heart. Ladies and gentlemen, as I said to you, it wasn't because David didn't have faults. In fact, I'm pretty certain that David committed more heinous things than a lot of us. But it was just that his heart was in sync with God's heart. And that is all that God is looking for. See, God cares for us very much, ladies and gentlemen. But he's also looking for those who care for him. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. It says, And Solomon, my son, so he was handing over to his son, Solomon. And this was the best advice that he gave his son. He says, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Learn to know how God's, God's heart beats. Learn to know what is on God's heart. Not what we do where we're more concerned about what is on our hearts. He says, worship him and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. I pray again, the Lord will never reject you. Amen. And how I'm confident about that is, ladies and gentlemen, because, because of God's love, as we've heard, he paid an awesome price. He looked at our hearts and he thought, these hearts are messed up. These hearts are deceitful. These hearts are hypocritical. These hearts are evil and wicked. And that's why we do evil to each other. He says, but I can't leave them like that. I've got to do something. That's why he sent his only son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus came to die for our sins, to first of all cleanse us from our iniquity so that we could be reconciled back to God. But then he also came, that's why he lived for 33 years, he also came to show us the heart of God. And sometimes we don't, we don't think about it like that. We, we just think about Jesus as Savior who died on the cross. Yes, he died on the cross. It was necessary for him to die. Otherwise, we would not be reconciled. Your heart cannot relate with a holy heart of God, if not for Jesus. The heart that God has said is, is filthy and dirty and evil and wicked cannot even come near God at all if Jesus had not paid the price with the blood. So guess what? Anytime you come, anytime I come before God, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that when God looks at your heart, he doesn't see that evil, wicked heart. He sees Jesus' heart. That's how we are able to come in proximity with God. 
But God doesn't want to leave your heart and my heart in that state. So Jesus modeled the heart of God. It's interesting. Do you know that every one of the traits that I mentioned about David's heart and more, do you know that they were all traits that Jesus modeled? Jesus was submitted to his father's will. His heart was in sync with the father's heart. And so, ladies and gentlemen, David became the benchmark for hearts. If you're looking for comparison, it's David's heart. That's why when you read the Bible of the kings, they'll say, and uh, King Amaziah became king after his father da, 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 died. And then it says that King Amaziah did, did, um, it says, did evil unlike his ancestor David. Everybody was compared to David. That's why I said, ladies and gentlemen, as we discuss today, why don't you bring out your heart? As in, don't bring it out. I mean, and just place it beside David's heart and ask the question, does my heart commend me to God? I want to end with a challenge and with a prayer. The challenge is in Psalm 139. I want to read the verses. Let me, let's read them in verse, verses 1 to 4. And then let's do the Passion Translation. If you have the Passion Translation. It says, Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. Verse 2. You perceive every movement of my heart and soul. And you understand my every thought before it even enters my mind. Verse 3. You are so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book and you know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey even begins. This was David just saying, you know, you see my heart. I can't pretend before you. And then he says in verses 23 and 24, and this is the challenge for us, ladies and gentlemen. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Ladies and gentlemen, you can only say that prayer if your heart is soft and tender to God. And even if it was hard before, at whatever degree of hardness, remember, for as long as we're focused on God and the things of God, for as long as our desire is that we want our hearts to be in sync with God, the love of God, we had this last week, will soften our hearts as we journey. And that's my challenge for you, and for you, ladies and gentlemen. That as we journey, let's ask God. Let's open ourselves, you know, just put yourself on the theater table. Give yourself anesthesia so that you're comatose. And just say, Lord, just dissect me and see everything about me. Point it out to me so I can start to do something about it by your grace. And the prayer... Ladies and gentlemen, is in Amos chapter 9, verse 11. Amos chapter 9, verse 11, in the New Living Translation. This is what God laid on my heart. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls. From the ruins, I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. You know what this scripture means, ladies and gentlemen? 
Everything, remember, was benchmarked against David because David was the yardstick. David's heart was the one that, 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 that pleased God. But then every other king after him, some did well, most of them did evil, and it ended in the house of David being destroyed. But this is God's word for you and I. He says, I will restore the fallen house of David. God will restore you and I, ladies and gentlemen. Whatever it is that is damaged or wrong in our heart, the Lord will rebuild. And you know why? Because God's plan has always been that your life will bring him glory. I pray for you, my brothers and my sisters, that your life will glorify God. Your heart will resemble the heart of God. So that when people see you, they will see God in you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just bless you and thank you. I want to ask and invite anyone who is here. You may have been coming to church. In fact, you might have been coming for a long period. It might be your first time. And if you're at home, you might have been joining church services. But then you know in your heart, remember God says the heart, that you don't have a relationship with God. This is not about going to church or singing songs or even praying. It's that relationship where your heart is submitted to God. You've invited him into your life as your Lord and Savior. You have repented of your sins or you want to repent of your sins so that God can be enthroned in your life. Remember I said, a man's evil heart can never relate with the pure heart of God except through the blood of Jesus. So if there's anyone here, you haven't taken this step before, I just want to ask you to take opportunity of this invitation. You want to just surrender your heart to God, your heart to God. It's not a religious thing. You want to, so it's a personal thing between you and God. And if you want to do so and you're here, just raise up your hand so that I know you're doing this. Let me just say this prayer with you. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your awesome love and your mercy, O oh God. Thank you for your kindness towards, particularly in giving your son as a ransom for our sins so that we can be reconciled to you. And today, Lord, I pray for your sons and daughters who have indicated that they want you to come into their hearts, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I ask that you hear their cry. Forgive their sins. Wash away their sins, O oh God, by, with your blood. And come and reside in their hearts. And as they join me in this prayer, I declare that they've been made new and they're born again. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen.